we ran it on QI a few years ago. Yeah. Um, which was, there's no such thing as a fish. Yeah, there's no such thing as a fish. No, seriously, it's in the Oxford Dictionary of Underwater Life. It says it right there, first paragraph, no such thing as a fish. to another edition of No Such Thing as a Fish, coming to you from the QI offices in Covent Garden. My name is Dan. I'm sitting here with the regular three L's, James, Anna, and Andy. And once again, we are going to go over our favorite facts from the last seven days. Fact number one. This is my fact. And the fact is that 30 million Chinese people live in caves Whoa, yeah. really? I've been reading a Paul Theroux book called Riding the Iron Rooster. I was initially reading it because of a fact I'd read a long time ago. He was talking about all the great Chinese inventions. He said, you know, the Chinese invented paper and, and you know, gunpowder and wheelbarrows. And the, and the guy who was telling it to him in the book ended by saying, we even have wheelbarrows in China that you and the West don't yet know about. What? <laughs> yeah, that was the most exciting sentence. Wait a minute, what this could is... it be that's different? I know, what, what great innovations have happened to the wheelbarrow that it's we don't yet know barrow. about? So they got secret wheelbarrows in China that we in the West yeah. don't yet know about. But it was, it was on the following page that it then said 30 million people live in caves in China. And that in 1986, there was a program to relocate all of these people, but not into houses but to relocate them into better caves. <laughs> <laughs> I went to Canary Islands quite a few years ago, and they um, traditionally lived in caves as well. And um, they wanted to bring back this kind of old tradition so you could get a government grant to live in a cave rather than living in a normal house. Oh, wow. It's I would live in a cave like a shot. Would you? Yeah, wasn't definitely. There, wasn't there a story about English people? Yes, there was. During the Second World War, uh, there, there are caves called Chislehurst Caves in Kent, and 15,000 people... Stayed there, and I found a um, yeah some some guidelines. It, it's really in the middle of this cave. There's a very English notice board saying no admission or re-entry to the dormitory section after 9:30 p.m. Uh, there must be reasonable quiet by 10 p.m. Lights out and absolute silence by 10:30 p.m. No you cave can still raids. visit them, I think, can't you? You can. can you, yeah. I think I think I feel like I visited them in my childhood. There are about 50, there are seventeen rules and about fifteen are about going to bed on time. I would think. <laughs> <laughs> the president of China used to live at a cave. What? Really? Uh, is it Xi Jinping? Uh-huh. Uh, you'll be better on the pronunciation than me. But yeah, he lived for seven years in a cave when he was exiled during the Cultural Revolution. I remember um, we looked at this in the series C. Unsurprisingly, um, we found out that, like you said, thirty million people lived in China in caves. But we also found out the entire population of the world in the Stone Age was only five million. So that means that there were more cavemen now than there have ever been in history, basically. Which I think is pretty That's good. great. And most people didn't live in caves either, no, did they? they? No, no. During really. the Stone Age. But I mean, a few people would have done, but most people just lived in the open. Or... Yeah. yeah, of course. I think most, ca- I mean, most caves were basically have always been unlivable, haven't they? I think that's what I read, which is why most people couldn't live in caves. Although, so I feel like this can get easily confused with the fact that a lot of people in Beijing 
live underground, don't they? So they used to. Yeah. There are, I think they still do. Two million people at the moment. They live think underground. live underground. Ten percent of the population are in Beijing. In a, in a basement flat. They, or e- we... they either live in like uh, basement flat, windowless basements, air raid shelters. Uh, there are some in like pipe networks because just like property what? prices are so high. I remember I read a, a biography on Mao Zedong, in which I found that uh, great fact that his barber was called Big Beard Wang, <laughs> and there was amazing stuff about him. I mean, it was an incredible biography. It was written by his personal physician. And in it, he says that Mao built an entire under Beijing city, like yeah. an entire city that never got used. But it was mm. in the event of a massive war that everyone would relocate under the city and they would live there. <laughs> and I try to do more research on it, but I can't find anything else on it. If you can't find the secret wheelbarrow, they're not going to tell you about the massive <laughs> secret city under the city. <laughs> Actually, um, Leonardo had a design for a city which was on two layers, and the poor people would live on the bottom layer, and the rich people would live oh. on the top layer. So he was like an architect as well as everything else. Da Vinci, two- we're talking about, yeah, not sorry. DiCaprio. <laughs> <laughs> not the teenage turtle. Um, he had lived a des- in the sewers. <laughs> <laughs> I read the other day I don't have any solid information on this Uh, they found in 2009 I think it was uh, about 60 kilometers more of the Great Wall of China that they didn't know existed Um, when they were doing a Google Earth survey of it they discovered a missing bit of the wall and they discovered a local village nearby who had just obviously come across this wall and gone, well, no one seems to be using this. And they took Three the bricks. bricks and they made a village out <laughs> yeah. of it. Yeah. I think that happened with Hadrian's Wall as well, didn't it? They took bits of the yeah. wall and just yeah. made houses out of it. And yeah. with, with Rome in the Renaissance, they used old buildings to make oh, really? new ones, yeah. I, I, I heard a brilliant fact about stones this week. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Um, so the world's largest piece of limestone, you can see where all the L's are coming from for the L series of QI, the world's largest piece of limestone is in Lebanon. It was cut up by the Romans and they were going to make a massive, great big temple with it. But once they cut it open, they realised that it was too big to carry. And so it's still there where they cut it. <laughs> oh, that's no great. Come on, guys. That's forward planning. Wonderful. Yeah. I read recently that um, the oldest thing on Earth, they know, they, well, they know the oldest rock on Earth. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you would think that that's impossible, but it's it's it's, it's a bit of a cheat. <laughs> it's a it's a crystal. It's a crystal that they found. And it's four point four billion years old. Wow. Yeah. So it's the oldest. Um, I love it when you have like a little yeah. object that you can date. Ash, who's a who's a friend of mine, uh, who so again, Emperor did, yes, did yeah. our theme tune. Um, he has a a chair in his house, which is a a trunk, a bit of a tree trunk, but it's so old that it's crystallized. Is it crystallized the word? No, what is it? It's um Oh petrified. Petrified. Mm. And it's, and so it's but it feels like marble when you yeah. touch it. Mm. And I was touching it and you kinda go, This is amazing enough. And then he said, Check this out. This chair is older than flowers. Wow. That's amazing. Um, my favorite thing, by the way, about the wall, the Great Wall of China, is that, you know, when they say, Oh, we found a bit more Great Wall, you go, oh, you expect it to be five more meters of it. And then when they say 100 kilometers, yeah, that's yeah. just, I love it when things are found in such a ridiculous bulk. Um, one of my favorite facts of all time is Barbara Cartland, after she died, they discovered um, unpublished novels. You know, oh, yeah. like after an author dies, they're like, oh, yeah. we found unpublished yeah, novels. Yeah. Mm. They found 160 unpublished wow. novels. Wow. <laughs> With the Great Wall, you would have just thought someone would have like gone from one end to the other just to say, like, this, I've seen it all now. Yeah. I've mapped it all out. Why have oh, they done that? People, I find it weird. Well, people, there have been. There were two uh, conceptual artists who walked the length of the Great Wall of China towards each other, and then they met in the middle 
uh, and kissed each other once and then they never met again. And that sounds like a dream or a very yeah. poncy film, but it's not. It did happen. Yeah, the guy they... died this week who was the person who kissed at the end of uh, World War Two. Do you remember that? Yeah, that he did. Iconic picture. Oh, yes. 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 Did he die? Oh, wow. Yeah, he yeah. died this week. Because I thought there was there was doubt over over who it was. I, I think these were the guys who were accepted because yeah. they have other pictures that look very similar to oh, them. Wow. But there were other people who claimed to be. After the war, he was a mail carrier and semi-professional baseball player. Oh, really? Yeah. And um, they, they were identified by the Houston Police Department forensic artist. She took about 100 pictures of him using a pillow to pose as he did. And she said she could match the muscles, ears, and other features of the 80-year-old McDuffie to the sailor in the picture. You don't want to be committing any crimes in Houston anytime soon, do you? Especially not near an artist who paints you at the time. His name is Glenn McDuffie. And after after he was identified, he went around fundraisers and parties telling his story. And women would pay $10 to uh, kiss him on the cheek. Why the cheek, though? I mean, that's not... What they do in the photo? You would have thought you'd go for the full-on bent over backwards, wouldn't you? Uh, yeah. I Otherwise, so. what's the point? Maybe, Maybe that was a bit more. Like ten pounds on the cheek. Isn't <laughs> yeah. The cheek? Yeah. He was changing trains in New York when he was told that Japan had surrendered. He said, "I was so happy. I ran out in the street." Said Mr. McDuffie, then aged eighteen and on his way to visit his girlfriend in Brooklyn. <laughs> and then I saw that nurse. He said she saw me hollering and with a big smile on my face. I just went right over to her and kissed her. Afterwards, I just went on the subway across the street and went to Brooklyn. <laughs> wow. Can you imagine if she's just reading the newspaper the next day and she just sees that? <laughs> yeah, I, I know those muscles and that earlobe. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fact number two. James. Okay. Um, yeah, my fact this week is there is a banker in Latvia who will lend you money using your immortal soul as security. So in what form do you hand over your immortal soul? When, is it like a piece of paper you sign? No, it's just your word, I think. Your word? I think so, yeah. This guy's not very well, evil. <laughs> <laughs> Weird thing is, he's an atheist and he doesn't believe in souls, this guy, apparently. And um, what his point is, is that it's um, that a lot of people are not repaying their loans at the moment. And he said, I decided that in such times, a man's word is more a precious pledge than a car or an apartment which are depreciating in value. How much money has he got? <laughs> he sees trading two That's weeks after that. <laughs> exactly. I imagine in that one day he lent out all his money. <laughs> it was a maximum of $1,000 you could borrow. Right. There was a gaming company in 2010 who put in their terms and conditions, you know the things that no one reads. Um, by placing an order, you agree to grant us a non-transferable option to claim for now and evermore your immortal soul. Should we wish to exercise this option, you agree to surrender your immortal soul and any claim you may have on it within five working days. <laughs> yeah, but the belief in soul is quite quite common. Uh, like, even today in this country, you'll get... Um, I happen to know that in some hospitals, when someone dies, they'll open the window just so that the soul can mm. escape. Well, that is, that's a question of uh, a nurse with a superstition. That is yeah. not policy. No, it's not policy. someone said to me that um, I, I could borrow money in exchange for my immortal soul. I don't believe in my immortal soul, but I think I would hesitate before doing it. Wouldn't you guys? Like, just in case. Right. So like I was saying before, people in history um, always seem to believe that um, 
that people live forever. After you die, you go on and you do something else. There's a huge number of Chinese emperors who all died because they were seeking out the elixir oh, really? of life. Yeah, the oh, yeah. Qin, the man who effectively unified China, gave it its name. He died because of his constant search for the elixir of life. He did a number of things in his life. He did the um, terracotta warriors. Oh, yeah. And they still haven't gotten into his main burial um, right. place. It, and it's incredible because the descriptions of it from legend were that it was um, made with a river of mercury. And um, they've put tests to see if they if it's dangerous or not to go in, and the levels of mercury are extremely high, extremely oh. high. So it kind of suggests that maybe he did make it come true. Right. But he died from drinking mercury because he was told that he uh, was going to live forever that way. Also, Because oh, that doesn't work, does it? It does exactly doesn't, the opposite. It does exactly <laughs> the opposite. The, the he, was, he was also um, told by a, a thousand-year-old wizard... Uh, who he met once and could never find again. That oh, was, yeah. yeah. <laughs> that there was an island in which they would find the elixir of life. He sent off a boat full of people, and uh, supposedly that's, that boat never came back. Supposedly that's the boat that founded Japan. Also, the, he sent off another expedition after the first one didn't come back to look for the, island of, the islands of the immortals. Uh, only one man came back saying that the herbs on the island were guarded by fierce whales and that the expedition had failed because they had been frightened by a huge fish. <laughs> Speaking of people living forever, there was um, a politician in America called Leonard Live Forever Jones. Uh, he ran for governor of Kentucky in the 1860s, and he ran on a platform of being immortal. And because he was immortal, he refused any medical help of any kind, and he died of a chest cold in 1868. <laughs> <laughs> um, just with the age thing, I read this the other day, which I found amazing. The 10th president of America, John Tyler, yep. born 1790. His grandson is still yeah. alive. Yeah. Wow. His grandson. That's pretty impressive. You know, the oldest, the oldest complete skeleton found in Britain was the guy who was found in Cheddar Gorge, who's 9,000 years old. And, you know, they tried to trace um, some of his descendants. They decided to just look in the local area, and they found this guy, Adrian Target, who's a school teacher, who's a direct descendant on his mother's side of this 9,000-year-old skeleton. So he's now the, like... He's broken the rec- the world record for someone who can trace his descendants back. Oh. Trace his ancestry back the furthest. His wife said, this is all a bit of a surprise, but maybe it explains why he likes his steaks rare. And, um... <laughs> That's great. That does explain That, is, that does make everything's falling into place. Um, do you guys know about Joyce Heth? No. No. She was a... She was one. Do you know P.T. Barnum, the cir- oh, great yeah. circus impresario from the 19th century America? One born every okay. minute. One born every minute, which he didn't ever say, unfortunately. Oh. But Joyce Heth was one of his earliest successes. She was a 161 year old African American woman who. Was he, she and the. Well, this is the thing. She was part of his shows, and he claimed she had been George Washington's nanny. <laughs> which is, after she died, um, he hired someone to test it. And the, the surgeon responsible said, mm, this woman is about 80 years old. <laughs> which he claimed that the autopsy victim was another person and that the real Joyce Hess was alive in Europe doing a tour. <laughs> it was good in those days when you could just walk around pretending to be something you completely yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, So, Dan, one of your favourite facts is about the two-headed... Mexican. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> Pascal Panan, the two-headed Mexican. He's uh, he's got one head, and he's from Texas. <laughs> Time to move on to fact number three, which is you, Anna. Yeah. Um. So I found out this week that 
For 100 years, almost all the maps we had of Africa contained a mountain range that didn't exist. They were called the Mountains of Kong. It was this enormous mountain range. It's a great name. But the map first appeared in 1798. Uh, It was an English geographer, James Rennell, who recorded the, you know, Mungo Park, who went to Africa and yes. called Africa the Niger. Mm-hmm. So he was recording uh, the notes of Mungo Park, and he just elaborated a bit. And he invented the Mountains of Kong, which stretched, like, from the east side to the west side of Africa. The only problem with it, I think, was that explorers then went there, but they, because he said it was impassable, he said there were mountains of stupendous height, it was an insuperable barrier, so explorers didn't even bother to try and cross it. Oh. <laughs> so they didn't get, they were like, no, the mountains are over there, can't get to the south, well, south side of Africa. Yeah, let's Honestly. Let's, well, should we keep going until we hit the mountains? Take <laughs> <Yeah>. a picture. <laughs> no, 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 no. We haven't that's... even got to France yet. Turn around. <laughs> Turn around. We're going back to London. But that's that's my favourite fact about this whole thing, is that there's an explorer whose main discovery was undiscovering the mountains yeah, of Kong. Yeah. His oh, name yeah. is Louis Gustav Binger. Uh, oh, there's a town yeah. name after him, Bingerville. It's in. Um, it doesn't okay. exist. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> he made it up. Yeah. Perfect. But no, he he uh, he did. He discovered. He undiscovered the mountains of Kong. Speaking of places that don't exist, um, like Bingerville. Yeah, <laughs> Bingerville exists. Okay. Well, there's a place called Aglo in uh, New York State, and it was made up by a guy. He put it on a map, and he, he I think it was an anagram of his name or an anagram of someone's name. And um, it was a completely made-up thing, but it got copied by maps and copied by maps and copied by maps. And then someone put a gas station where it should be, and they called it um, Aglo Gas Station. And now there's a house there, yeah. and now it has become a real place. So now he, was gonna, he is no that longer is a liar. Yeah. You know when Apple Maps launched last year, or the year before, mm. was it? And there uh-huh. were all those errors um, that were hilarious. One of which was the Senkaku Islands, the Japan and oh. China dispute. And uh, Apple Maps just made two. So there was one on the Chinese side and one on the Japanese side, just oh. side by side. Isn't that nice? That's yeah. a good way of solving conflict. It yeah. is a good if way. If we just made two Crimeas, then Russia and <laughs> oh, Ukraine wouldn't be... have to worry about yeah. it. Yeah, because how often do they really go there? They just want to write it down, don't they, that they own it? They think it, need to yeah. know. It's for mineral rights as well, because the, the, uh, Mexico yeah, wanted... Uh, there's a uh, Bermeja Island uh, is strategically important, because if you get the waters around it, you get a lot of oil deposits. Mm. Um, and unfortunately for Mexico, it also vanished several years ago. So now they don't own that bit of water. It's, you oh, know. No. Because what you do is you own a certain distance yeah. around your uh, land. And what it used to be, it was the distance that a cannon could fire. So you'd let, you'd own, say a cannon could fire 500 metres, that's the distance that you would own out to sea. Wow. And that it's, it's changed over out the years. Out to sea? But that's what it originally was, yeah. yeah. Wow. I think it uh, might have been in Reagan's time, uh, certainly, I'm pretty sure it was in the 80s, America changed their rules and said, okay, it used to be the cannon distance, now we're going to say we actually own mm-hmm. 10 kilometres out to sea. And that increased the uh, area of the United States by an enormous amount. I feel like we should mention, just in case there are people out there who don't know about California and the fact that it was an island until the oh, yeah. 18th century, which is probably the most famous um, map cock up and lasted from, I think it was 1510, the first map appeared that made California into an island. Um, and yeah, like Francis Drake went out, sailed out there, Cortez sailed out there, um, all sent voyages out there, and none of them managed to just come in, back and say, no, it definitely isn't, guys. I think in one of the early Britannicas, it mm. said um, it is unsure whether it is an island or a peninsula. Yeah. yeah. There's a theory that it got confused with Guam, which is, oh. if you look at a map, not very close Guam at is all. a very long way away. It is a very far. They were doing, yeah, they were bigging themselves up, they were claiming they'd sailed to Guam. Do you know the good Guam fact, Steph? No. Um, so Guam is this island in the Pacific 
uh, owned by America. They have a naval base there and an air base there, and they um, dropped some snakes there, some brown um, snakes, by accident one day, just a couple of them, and with no other predators on the island, they uh, multiplied and multiplied and multiplied, and now oh it's just covered in snakes. Because yeah, the snake population, they've now dropped dead, poisoned mice onto <laughs> the island, stuffed with 80 milligrams of paracetamol, which is deadly to brown tree snakes, tied to miniature cardboard parachutes. <laughs> I've um, I, I read a story which is in the news about a mystery ghost ship that's carrying nothing but cannibal rats. That's a very... It's the same thing. They've multiplied and multiplied, and now they're worried that this ship is going to... They don't know if it, the ship is still out there. It because was supposed they think to be floating might've... towards Ireland, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That is amazing. You could say they were pirates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just a round of applause. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thanks, yeah. Thanks so very good. Yeah. Here a week. I have seen this. This has been debunked. Apparently they are no more inclined to eat one another than humans. Dr. Penny Hawkins of the RSPCA said, Rats have a really bad press, and this doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, uh, let's head to the final fact of the show. Fact number four, that's you, Andy. Okay, this is that male Pennsylvania grass spiders are much more likely to approach a female for sex if she has recently killed and eaten another male. Is that because they think she's already sated, so maybe she won't eat them? This is the thing. Females typically only eat one male, so... If your girlfriend has already killed and eaten one male, she's probably not going to kill and eat you, is the theory. No dessert for me. Yeah. (laughs) And also, some females don't um, kill and eat males. These blurred lines. (laughs) Exactly. Because you'd be waiting the whole time going, so have you you eaten anyone recently? (laughs) Ah, That's why you wouldn't approach, would you? Because if you knew that females ate generally only one male, you would think, oh, well, I'll definitely go for the one who's definitely not going to... Eat yeah. me. Yeah. The redbacks actually ask for it, don't they? Redback yeah. male spiders sort of beg to be eaten. And I don't think people are 100% sure why. So basically they um, they come up to the female who's like 50 times as big as them. And they get onto their abdomen and they put their palp, their kind of spider penis, into the, the lady. And then while they're doing that, they also use their palp to kind of somersault themselves into the spider's mouth. And then she chews them because she's got two openings, so they can put the palp in both. And it's best if they get in there with both. They so they repel themselves into her mouth. She feeds on them for a bit, so she sucks food out of this like male's abdomen while he's still inserted into her. And then he inserts himself into like hole number two, and then spins back again into her mouth to let mm-hmm. her eat the rest of him. Good grief! I, there are there are more which there are more males which have techniques for not being eaten. If the, those species which don't want to be. So, some uh, tetragnathid, please don't write it with the pronunciation notes, spiders, have specialised jaws which hold open the jaws of females during copulation <laughs> because they, they basically carry around sticks with which they can just leave her open her mouth as long as it takes to have sex. I know. Yeah. The, um, the golden orb spider uh, is very similar to the first guy you were talking about, um, but they will only mate, or they prefer to mate with a spider who is currently eating another male oh, because she's busy eating, so she won't do it. Just like during dinner, he'll prefer to do it. Don't mind me. Wow. That's, just here. Wow, that's pretty ultimate wingman behaviour, isn't <laughs> yeah. it? Don't worry, I'll take the flack for this one. (laughs) I really wish that women had what um, loads of other animals have, loads of spiders, insects, slugs, reptiles, birds have, and including uh, the redback spider, which is cryptic female choice. 
um, oh, which is basically it is the ability if someone has recently had sex with you to decide whether or not you're going to bother accepting their sperm and allowing them to fertilise you so they think that might be why it's good to get eaten as a redback by the woman because then she likes you she's like oh yeah you sacrificed yourself to me alright fine I'll let your sperm fertilise my egg um, so they can, she can literally say oh no not really didn't so really like you it depends on how tasty it was Maybe. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, you were delicious. I'll, I'll definitely have your offspring. That's amazing. But I like the term cryptic female choice. Yes, yeah. that is wonderful. <laughs> so cannibalism is quite common in animal kingdom, not just mm. in spiders, yeah, is it? Yeah, they love it. Yeah, um, like one of my favourite ones are those sharks. I can't remember the species, but they, in the womb, there's more than one shark. So mm. they haven't been born yet, but they will fight each other and eat each other before they're even born. I like those guys. Yeah. And I like the um, octopuses who will eat their own arm if they're stressed. <laughs> so it's like auto cannibalism. Yeah. That's kind of. Why do they? What, what purpose does that serve? Just stressed. Calms you down. Calms, calms you down. right down. It's just like biting your nails. Have a cup of tea <laughs> and eat this. <laughs> <laughs> I would cease to be calm so soon into the process of eating my own arm. So going back to spiders, they yeah. are cannibals, aren't they? And I remember reading, I don't know if this fact is true or not, but um, if you put 10,000 spiders in a room and just leave them to themselves, then they'll all keep eating each other, and in the end you'll just end up with one big, fat, satiated spider. So its well, body would just be building yeah, on tiny legs. <laughs> Wouldn't it be? Wouldn't that it's be the case? Its legs aren't going to grow. Well, spiders don't feed very often, do they? That's not Some how evolution works. <laughs> hey, we should become giants. Let's all eat each other. And there'll be one big guy called Barry who will like them. Do you know that spiders' brains are so are, are big enough that they spill into their legs? They're not, think... they're not big enough. Their heads are so small. <laughs> yeah. You're right, that is the way. What? Say it again. So their brains spill so into their legs. They have very small bodies, as yeah. I said, <laughs> and very small heads, but they're mostly legs. So yeah. some spiders, the brains will spill into their legs because mm. the brains are bigger than the heads. It would be annoying, though, to think that every time you've tripped over and grazed your knee, you might have brain damage. Can you imagine how stressed you'd be? <laughs> yeah, you'd probably bite your own arm off. <laughs> But lions kill each other, which I didn't really realise. And um, so if a, if a female lion has got a bunch of cubs that she's nursing and a male lion sees her and thinks, actually, I want to copulate with her, he, he can go and kill all the cubs, but within 24 hours of the male murdering their cubs, they'll be back God. on heat. They recover that wow. fast. There's no mourning period. They're just like, they're dead, wow. moving because, on. Um, but then... Also, the Lion King really would just been the rest of them going, Simba, <laughs> just get over it, mate. Move on, have yeah. some sex. You're no. missing out on your sex time here. <laughs> and you were telling us about how often they have sex. They're quite... Yes, when when lions are in heat, it's 20 to 40 times a day. But wow. it's always very... Wow. For very short Whoa. periods. The, the Each coupling, as they call it, lasts for maybe 30 seconds. As well, wasn't there something about ladybirds? About their... Yes, ladybirds have... Um, they have a lot of sex but they have sex for a very long time as well so often it's for at least one or two hours um, sometimes it's up to nine hours but that's mostly because the male wants to prevent the female from mating with any other males but also male ladybirds are so indiscriminate with who they approach that when they meet another ladybird they will mount it whether it's the same species of ladybird whether or not it's the same sex if it's a male ladybird they mount they just quickly dismount and pretend nothing's happened and walk off does it even have to be a ladybird like when a ladybird like flies lands on my arm does it think that it's going Maybe. to happen? what yeah. if I'm reading a ladybird book <laughs> <laughs> I think it's the most beautiful ladybird ever <laughs> OK, 
Okay, that's our show. Uh, thanks everyone for listening. If you want to find out more about any of the subjects we've been talking about, we're going to put links, we're going to put videos, we're going to put uh, just pictures and so on on our qi.com slash podcast page. We're also going to be on Twitter constantly monitoring any ads that you have for us about things that we've said, either wrong or right. If you just want to chat to us generally, say hi. I'm on at Triberland, Andy. I'm at Andrew Hunter M. Uh, I am at Eggshaped. And Anna, still not on Twitter, but buckling very quickly. But at the time <laughs> of this podcast going out, she's at Quickopedia. And that's the official QI account. We're going to be back again next week with another episode of No Such Thing as a Fish. And we'll see you then. Goodbye. Goodbye.